Good morning. If you would, please open your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John is a small book located towards the end of the New Testament. As you're turning there, I will reiterate a couple things you've already heard this morning. One is that uh, our senior pastor, Dale Weldon, is in Atlanta baptizing his grandbaby today. So we rejoice with him. He'll be uh, back this evening and in the office uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, Also, this is Reformation Sunday. It was... uh, 494 years ago tomorrow that uh, uh, Martin Luther did indeed uh, nail those 95 theses on the door there in Wittenberg. And uh, what started as uh, discussion points that Luther thought the church needed to talk about uh, became a mighty reformation across that land and across the world. And uh, we rejoice in in that and and pray that uh, the word of the Lord will go forward like that in this country and around the world uh, again. At this time, let's uh, give our attention to 1 John chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 13. And remember, this is the Word of God. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love His brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that your spirit would show us wonderful and glorious truths in this portion of your holy word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As most of you know, uh, last month, uh, my wife and I and several others from the church had the opportunity to to go back to England for a mission journey. One of the things we got to do when we were in England is we went to Oxford, England, and uh, went there with a couple of the different uh, missionaries and spent the day with them getting to to know them a little bit better and touring around Oxford. I'd been to Oxford before, and I was quite anxious to get back to one particular spot. It's a pretty nondescript spot, unless you're looking for it, but on one road, in the middle of the road, there's one brick that has a little white cross painted in it. And on that very spot is the spot where Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were burned at the stake 1555, for holding to the truths 
of the Reformation. These men were so certain about what they believed in that they were willing to die a horrible death because they were sure of what they believed in. And they loved the, the people there in Oxford, and, and they wanted them to know the truth. They wanted them to be sure also. So as I reflect on that, reflect on this text, I think, how can we love God and one another and be so sure as they were? I mean, the reality of it is we cannot just muster it up inside ourselves. We don't have it in us to say, I'm just going to be that certain because we're human and we're prone to fail. But verse 13 here tells us that, that John says, by this we know that we abide in him and him in us because he has given us his spirit. This ability to know is given to us by the person of the Holy Spirit. This person of the Holy Spirit who is devoted to convincing you that you are loved by God the Father. Do you ever doubt your relationship with God? John here tells us we have a reason, a basis for knowing that we belong to Christ, that we are indeed loved by God, and that we are loved by Jesus Christ himself. We know, says John, not we think or we hope or we feel as if, but we know we have a relationship with Christ, because the Holy Spirit assures us that we can know this. If we read in verse 14, we know that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior. We, we've seen it, and we testify about it, says John. John is saying our knowledge and, and certainty of the presence of Christ in our lives is based on a historical event, and we can know it. So what can we know? What's our historical event that, that we can know that we are loved by Christ? Now, you might first think, well, my historical event is the day I was converted. I remember it. It was June 10th, 1972, or whatever. You might say, I... I because of that day, I know, because the one time I was living a life that was terrible, and now God has changed me. I know it for certain. Well, that could be an answer, but for some of us who grew up in a Christian home and don't ever remember a day when Jesus Christ was not our Lord and Savior, we might say, but I, I don't have that specific point that I can point to. So I don't think that's what John is talking about here. Well, if that's not it, what is he speaking about? John is saying we know Christ is with us. And we've seen it. We can testify about it today. There must be some event relevant to the Holy Spirit that, that John is referencing here. So let's do a little bit of research. In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, 
in verse 38, uh, Jesus is talking. He tells us, this, the day is coming when rivers of living water will flow from us. And then John adds this little editorial comment. He says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, when was Jesus glorified? When 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter on resurrection, Christ was, we read that Christ was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he sits on the right hand of the Father. And from that spot, he gave us his spirit. Well, when did he give us, our, give us his spirit? Well, we needed to go to Acts chapter 2. Verse 33, on that great day of Pentecost, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promises of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing after Christ was raised from the dead. Christ had told his people that when he sent them the Spirit, that they would be his witnesses to the entire earth. So, let's put it all together here. Christ rose from the dead and sat on the right hand of the Father. And when he got there, he said, Give me the Spirit that you promised me. I have accomplished the work of redemption. And when he's given the Spirit, he takes the Spirit and he hurls it out onto the church, onto his people, onto us. And we are his witnesses to the ends of the, the, the world. And Christ fulfills his promise that he's going to be with us to the end of the age. You might say to yourself, well, what does that have to do with me? I wasn't there the day of Pentecost. Oh, here it is. The gift of the Spirit that Christ gave to us, has never been withdrawn from us. That same powerful spirit remains with Christ's church today and with his people today. You might say, well, I don't have the signs like they had. Why don't I have the tongues of fire? Why can't I feel the wind rushing through it? You don't need it again. Christ has already given it. Christ has written it down for you. Pentecost was not just a day of an event for those people. It, it, it was your event. It was your assurance of the Spirit being with you. It's your assurance that Christ is with you at all times. When you're prone to doubt if Christ is really with you, if you're prone to doubt if you're truly loved, if you're prone to doubt, if your Christian life matters at all, don't go back to the day that you made your profession in Christ. Go to Acts chapter 2. Read about how when Christ accomplished his work, he sent his spirit to you. I give you my spirit. I give you my spirit on this day. I give it to you because I'm proving to you that I love you. And I've accomplished your redemption. That's the way we are to live, is in that knowledge. Are you living in that knowledge? 
How do you live in the power and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Verses 14 through 16 here tells us that the Holy Spirit allows us to confess and know about the work that Christ has done for us. Saving, sustaining, and loving works done for you. Upon closer look, what we see here is, is, is actually our, our justification and our sanctification and our adoption is found right here, but it's actually not ours, but it's Christ's justification, sanctification, and adoption. Works he completed, and he brought them to you. And since Christ abides in us, and our lives are in his, and we're joined together, this work is done for our benefit. This is how John says we know, because we abide in him, and he abides in us. The focus, you see, it's on Christ. It's not on us. So how is Christ's justification and sanctification and adoption actually our justification, sanctification and adoption? You might be thinking to yourself, well, justification, isn't that when a, a sinner is made righteous. When, when was Christ ever a sinner? But we were just singing about that, weren't we? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Christ became sin for us. On the cross, God hurled his wrath at Christ because he took your sin. Christ became sin for you. Christ cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken you, forsaken me? Because he took your sin. He descended into hell because he took your sin. He is separated from God because he took your sin. He died because he took your sin. Christ never would have died, but he took your sin. But his, his righteous life proved to be your justification. It was Christ's righteous life that justified the sin that he had become. And we know that this was accepted because the proof of the justification is his resurrection. Friends, we are only justified because Christ was justified. And we are joined when, with Christ. When he was justified, you were justified. Well, how was Christ sanctified? In Romans 6.10, we read, he died to sin once for all. That's, that's the ultimate sanctification. That sanctification is dying to sin and living for righteousness. For us, it, it's a process. And our culmination of sinning no more and, and living in righteousness will be when we reach heaven. But because... He was sanctified, and our lives are joined to Christ. We are as good as sanctified already. It's a done deal. We don't have to worry about if it's going to be accomplished. We have no sanctification if Christ was never sanctified. What about our adoption? Romans 1.4, 
upon being raised to life. He was declared the firstborn of a new race. It was because he was adopted that we can say we are adopted into God's family. We can have true assurance because of his adoption. I'm afraid what happens, though, sometimes we think that it's our justification or our sanctification or our adoption that we're trying to manage, and doubts begin to creep in. Sometimes we look at our lives and we see our own unrighteousness, and we say, there's no way I can be justified. Well, you're looking at yourself. You need to look at Jesus. Some days we, we, we once again succumb to that same begetting sin. And we say, surely now I have messed up my sanctification. Well, you're looking at yourself. You need to look at Jesus. Someday you, you, we, we look at ourselves and there's, there's no way God would want to adopt somebody like me. Well, you're looking at yourself. You must put your focus on Jesus. I asked Chris Lockwood if I could share this uh, illustration. Uh, I saw, I think it was a YouTube video earlier this year of, of Chris jumping out of an airplane, doing a little parachuting. And she did one of those tandem jumps where, you know, you have an instructor strapped on you and, and you, you jump out of the plane. Well, imagine if Chris once they'd gotten airborne, had said to the instructor, I don't think I want to jump today. He would have said, it's too late. I have already jumped. And she said, but I don't know how to open the parachute. He would have said, it's okay. I am going to open the parachute. She said, I don't think I know how to land. I'm going to land. You don't need to worry about it. You are, are strapped to me. You are joined to me. You are lashed to me. And I've got you on this jump. That's the way we are with Christ. We are strapped to Christ. We are joined to Christ. We are lashed with Christ. His justification, sanctification, and, and adoption is ours. And it's the mission of the Holy Spirit to show the love of God for us. You know, God has an unending pursuit for love for his children because he loves his son and you are lashed to him. Because of this, we like John here in our text can say, we know God loves us. And it's the Spirit who shows us we are loved by God. And he removes all the excuses for us not loving God and not loving one another. Verse 18 says that there is no fear in love. Sometimes in the Bible the word fear means a great awe or a majestic reverence. Here it means plain old being afraid. And there is no place for that in love. So here's a simple question for you this morning. 
Are you afraid? Are you afraid? You see, if you're filled up with love, there's no place for fear. Verse 17 starts with, with the statement, uh, by this, or as then Avi puts it, in this way. John is here is referring to our, our, once again, our being joined with Christ. Our confidence and our judgment by God is not found in us. But again, it's found with Christ. And because we are joined with Christ, we have no fear. As Chris Lockwood was tied and strapped and lashed to her jump instructor, we are the same with Christ. Therefore, we can have confidence of the love of God for us today and into the future. Now, I've noticed that we seem to have these different uh, compartments of, of confidence uh, when it comes to, to God and, and our relationship with him. Uh, many of you would rightfully say, I, I, I'm confident in my future love with God that, that one day when I die, he's going to welcome me into eternity because of Jesus Christ. And you would be right to feel that way in the future. But yet at the same time, there seems to be this other compartment of confidence that's really lacking. And, and, and it says something like, God's not ever really happy with me. I think I might be a, a disappointment to God. I, I don't think I ever can do quite enough to please him. And therefore, you're afraid of God. John says there's no place for such fear in the heart of a Christian because fear has to do with punishment. If Christ is your Savior, there is no punishment left. He can have no greater love than he has for his Son. And you are tied to Christ. Christ can, or God can no more unlove you than he can unlove his son, Jesus. Are you afraid of your father? Much to my wife's chagrin, much, when the boys were much smaller, just about every night after dinner, when they were about five or six, we'd find our way out into the family room and we'd start our game of two heroic knights fighting a big monster. And we would wrestle around on the floor for quite a while. And inevitably, our little dog would get so excited about what she would, we were doing, she would start to get in the middle of it. And I would turn to her and I would let out a good monster roar at her and she would scamper off into another room. And then I'd turn to the boys, and I would let out a good monster roar to them. And they would look at me, and they would laugh. <laughs> it's not good for monster self-esteem, I'll tell you that. And I'd say to them, why are you not afraid of me like the dog is afraid of me? And they'd look at me, and they'd say, 
because you're daddy. Do you believe God is your father or not? It's unbelieving to be afraid of him. So we look at verse 19, just this quick comment on it. Basically, this is what verse 19 says. I love you. I love you. If you do not think God loves you, it's because you're not listening to him. Every page of this book implicitly or explicitly says, I love my children. You need to pay attention to what God is saying to you. The final two verses here in our text this morning tell us because of God's love for us that we should love rather than hate. That should get our attention. God says, if you say you love me but hate your brother, you are a liar. He says, if this is true about you, that you don't really love me, and you need to be converted. So that brings us to that uncomfortable exercise, asking you to take just a moment to think about someone that you have a hard time loving. Now, you can play the game if you want, but God won't be fooled of, you know, well, I don't say, I wouldn't say I hate them, I just don't really like them. Or, I wouldn't say I hate them, we just have agreed to go our different ways. Let me ask you this. Are you willing today to pursue the person that you're thinking of? For the purpose of doing them good. If you're not, then you hate them. And while hating them, you say, I love God, you're a liar. And you have reason to believe that you need to be converted. And you're saying, no, wait a second, all sermon you've been assuring us of God's love. Are you trying to get me to doubt my salvation here? What, what's God doing here? Well, it's, it's definitely a tough text, but it's, no, it's not to cause doubt. It's, it's, it's to prove your relationship with God. If you reject this teaching, you have a real problem. But if you hear this command... And say to yourself, the one who loves me so much that Christ died for my sins asked me in verse 21 to love my brother. And that's the way I'm going to respond. So how do you love your brother? How do you love those that have been hard to love? Well, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. You cannot... Do it on your own. You must return to the one who loved you first 
and admit to him, I cannot do this on my own. Jesus, I want to do what you ask, but you're going to have to do the work in me. We'll never be able to love others on our own. We must return to Christ. Where do you look to find that perfect love? You, do you look to yourself? Let me be honest. Your love's not perfect. It fails. If you're married, if you don't believe me, ask your spouse. They'll let you know sometimes your love fails. Bitterness and hatred will only be overcome by the love of Jesus Christ. And now listen very carefully to me. If what you hear me saying right now it is that you need to try to love God more and try to love others more, then you missed everything I've been trying to tell you this morning. I am saying return to Christ so that you can know how you are loved and so that you can love others as you should. You see, the love of Jesus transforms and reforms his people. Transforms us in ways to love like we never think would be possible. As Latimer and Ridley were being burned at the stake, history tells us that Latimer died very quickly. But there was a problem with the fire under Ridley. And only his lower, lower torso burned at first. And as he was still alive and was hanging there on the stake, he was yelling out, not in the agony that we would thought, but yelling out to God that, I know you love me, and I love you. And yelling out to those that were having them executed, that this is the day for you to repent of your sins, that Jesus loves you also. Christ alone will allow you to know that you are loved and teach you how to love others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the love of Jesus Christ. I thank you how he transforms us, makes us more like himself. Lord, I pray each person here today, that we will embrace Christ, that the transforming and reforming love of Jesus will be a reality in our lives, both today and the days forward. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.